Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's bi-weekly speaker series podcast. This week, we're joined by Philippe Lovero, former CEO of the International Finance Corporation. I'm sitting down with Philippe after his appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on 12 February, 2021. So I would love to start this podcast by expanding on the topic you were discussing today, which was transforming the IFC. We know that change is hard for the best of organizations. So how did you actually start going about trying to make systemic change in what is you know, a very large organization with a very unique mission and a disparate set of stakeholders around you? Well, that's a, a key and a simple and the toughest questions. Um, but for me, if I can reduce it in a very few things is, the first thing is to have to be very, very clear on what is the issue you're trying to solve, which means you have to have a very clear strategy. And the strategy is, should capture what is the objective? What are you gonna do to meet this objective? And what does it entail, both in terms of organization, new products, uh, but also the finance? What does it entail? If you're clear about that and repeat, Repetition is a basis of education, as my father used to say, and it's true inside an organization. And then you will still you will still have people that will understand and move and start to move with others. Some will say no. I mean, I'm you know I grew up in the old system and I, and I don't believe in this, and they will have to go. And then bring also uh, uh, and then so you convince. And at the same time, though that cannot be convinced, you have to, to tell them, uh, honestly, I mean, you know, this is where we're going. Make sure that you have a full support from your board. It's, it's impossible to change an organization uh, when you, everybody's against you. You just can't. And when you change things, the people that were there and benefited from the status quo are, will be against you. So some, then you have to split them. Some that will see that, uh, you know, but it's on the force of the argument. And, but if they see that you know, the board, which is you know, your shareholder, and in, the, in our case in IFC, they sit all week long. Um, so if they see that there is a full commitment and the best way is when it's um, shown by putting capital. So when you have a capital increase, capital is not for nothing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a compact. I give you the money, I it or I uh, France or I uh, Germany give you the money, but this is the conditions and it's, it's a contract. So when they see that this happen, a lot of the people that were not really against, but not for sitting on the edge, then they, they say, okay, we're, we're done because then the strategy is hardwired with money, with real taxpayers money. So that is, has been a big shift. So you push away those that don't, don't want to hear anything about it, bring new blood. And, but for the, 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 the majority is that when they see that you have a strong support and this support is backed by real money and a compact that will be monitored every day, then uh, you, you have a fair chance. Thanks, Philippe. That, that does sound like a very challenging task nonetheless in an organization like the IFC. Um, I'd be curious to sort of move to a theme that we've been hearing a lot about in the press, which is impact investing becoming a very mainstream topic. On the one hand, we see a lot of this news, 
But on the other hand, you also hear reports of major investors, private equity funds and banks that like pulling out of regions like Sub-Saharan Africa in recent years. How do we rationalize this paradox? And you know, what does this actually suggest for impact investing, especially in the context of emerging markets becoming more mainstream? Well, no, no, very good questions. I mean, I, I think that impact investing, first of all, I mean, the, the vast majority today is mostly in developed countries. Because impact can be, you know, impact on your community, can be impact on employment, can be impact on the health. And uh, so, and a lot of it is, in fact, focused on developed countries. Yet it is interesting because the, 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 the whole notion of impact came from emerging markets and an institution like the World Bank and IFC that in 56 were talking about it when nobody was talking about it. We didn't have the word. It was called, you know, development. Uh, it was not kind of impact investing as a, as a sentence. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the, the, the thing is, a lot of people now uh, are reluctant, especially um, private equity to go to, uh, to the poorest countries because, I mean, they want impact, but they want at the end, they want also to make money. Let's be, I mean, you have to be hard-nosed also. And uh, so there will be, there, and, and we found that it's very interesting. There's a new generation, I guess, your generation, which is more interesting than mine, I guess, because you want your cake and eat it too. And this, and, and this generation is coming now uh, 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 into power everywhere. And, uh, you know, they inherit the, the, the money or the investment from their parents and they want to make it work a slightly differently. But they still want the returns. They want the returns and the impact, which puts a lot of pressure on the companies, but uh, they want the cake and eat it too. And in some region, and that's why I will defend blended finance for some countries and a new model uh, for doing business in, in, in especially uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. If we want to shift, we can continue to drag on like this and cherry pick the good project, but they're few and apart. And, but especially post COVID, I think it will be even more important to change the way we do business and the role of organization like IFC that are not profit maximizing institutions should be much bigger because we can create the condition to bring real investor that wants impact, but also returns, but we need the project. That's why that was a big shift in IFC from reactive. We wait until the client comes and say, hey, I have a project and we say yes or no, we finance, we don't finance to actually designing a project and auctioning it and having private sector, uh, private investor coming. So that is the whole shift and it will be absolutely critical in Africa. Otherwise, even impact investor, you're right, are not gonna come massively. They, they, they are still, huh? I mean, they, they put the toes in the water. I was saying earlier that even in Madagascar, I, I see some of the, but this is not the big flood. This is not what is, we need that, but we need to multiply, we need to leverage. And for that, you need a project, you need better uh, policy environment, better regulation. And this is not the work of uh, asset manager. This is the work of uh, institution like the World Bank and, uh, and the IFC. That's, uh, we have our work cut out for us. And that will be the key to unlock the trillions that everybody's talking about. Because today we go from billions to, to, from billions, to millions if this continues. So we have to see exactly the opposite. Thanks, Philippe. Um, I think you just touched on blended finance, and I'd like to explore maybe that topic a little bit more. Are you sort of uh, seeing a lot more 
uh, innovation in terms of blended finance and other products with which multilaterals and development finance institutions can be targeting the poorest of the poor or trying to take risk in situations where commercial finance would not traditionally have been able to? Well, I, I think we're at the beginning of uh, what I think is going to be a, a long and, and not easy journey because uh, you will have uh, always people criticizing it, the purists on both sides. I mean, um, you know, you have people that say, and, and, and there's merit. I mean, I'm not, I think it's good to, to listen to people that have different views. They will say, you know, you're mixing up different things. This is the worst of all the world. So you're not concessional, so leave it to the public. The problem in many countries, the public cannot do it or will do it badly. So how you reconcile the two? I mean, for if you want to attract private investors and coming back and I'm linking the two questions like you do, it's all risk return. Risk return, with or without impact is risk return. I put that much, it's like your, your own savings. I mean, I'm ready to take that risk, which means losing, but I want a higher return. So if, we, if you go to a country that is extremely poor, where governance is very weak, where the size of the market is very small, who is going to get there? The risk is very high and the return is very low. We can wait forever and have all the conference in the world. It's not going to happen. So you need to change this, this equation, risk return. And the only way I know is to have one way or, or the other, some blended finance. Either you, you lower the risk, so you de-risk, which means someone has to take that risk, and it can be IDA, um, or you, uh, <laughs> you increase artificially the, the, the returns, or, or, or a bit of both. But I don't think we have uh, yet. Uh, so the PSW in IDA is a very interesting uh, experience, but it's the first. It started uh, in uh, IDA 18 in 2017. It's very, very recent. And we tried, what is interesting is that we have the instruments that we are modifying as we go, but also we put the governance around that. Because at the bottom of it as an economist, it's all about the subsidy and, and, private, and public money. The problem is how do you leverage your public money? You take $100 and you can leverage it to, uh, I don't know, 1,000, crowding it private sector, or you have $100 that will pay you one borehole in Mali with no leverage. So, that, so that's the, 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 the interest of the, of, the, of, of the blended is that you can crowd in more and have this uh, multiplier effect or leverage that you cannot if you use $1 for $1. But the danger is what I said, that it is uh, misused, it is used as a sweetener and not really to, 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 to bring new, a new business. And a new business is the name of the game and externalities. I keep talking about positive uh, externalities. Either you compensate for a market failure or a government failure, and then there's a justification for a subsidy, but it has to be transitional. At the end, you have to have a change of policy somewhere. Uh, or an externality, which is a positive externality. I took the example of the water company that you know can go to the poor suburbs uh, if you can uh, kind of uh, give some concessional finance, and there will be huge positive externality in terms of health and productivity. So these are, but we need to rational to 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 make sure that this is the governance around it. Make sure that this happens, and that you don't have a monopoly that gets a sweet deal because they're using. Uh, uh, um, taxpayers' money.
So that's a big, big challenge. The jury is still out. The instruments are evolving. And uh, I think that uh, people like you in the Kennedy School should, uh, should look more at this evolution, not only in, uh, in, uh, in IFC. I know uh, in the UK, there's a lot of interest uh, on that. I think that uh, there will be a lot of trial and error. But we don't need to reinvent uh, tepid water. So I think we should learn from each other. And uh, I think there's a huge, um, there's a huge room for more research and knowledge, but kind of applied research: what worked, what didn't work. But we're at the beginning. You know, typically you do a project and you can evaluate two, three, five years after, and then you readjust. But uh, I, I personally, I don't believe in pure solutions. The pure solution is. No, zero subsidy, purely private sector. Well, then in many countries, you're going to work for a long, long, long time. And if you don't have a private sector, who pays your taxes? So, I mean, uh, so it's nice to be purist, but you have to push the, the reasoning all the way. And then we have then to accept that there will be no private sector development in many countries for a very long time, except for informal sector and agriculture. But then let's not have these nice uh, big... Uh, ambitious strategies. Mm. But I, I, I chose my camp on this one, so I'm biased, and, and but I don't want to pretend otherwise. I think this is, but I, I recognize the difficulty and I recognize the, the, the critics, they have good points that have to be addressed by the practitioner. Thanks, Philippe. Blended finance certainly looks like an area that will require a lot more thinking and joint collaboration and hopefully will have benefits for the world as a whole uh, in, in the medium term. Um, I guess in you know, taking a step back and uh, wrapping this uh, conversation, you know, what are key words and advice you have for the next, uh, I guess, uh, you know, senior management team at the IFC and other multilaterals as we come out of the COVID crisis on what needs to really sort of be done um, to, to accelerate a recovery because we have, you know, lost many, many years of progress in a very short span of time. That's a very, very, very good and very tough questions. But I think that <clears throat> I called, I, I talked very quickly because I was running out of time of the upstream uh, idea of creating markets, creating projects instead of waiting for the project to come to you. For IFC and IFC type uh, uh, IFIs, the, the business model was, I wait for Rohit Incorporated to come to me with a project, feasibility study is done, everything is done, all I have to do is decide how to finance and how to structure the finance. The problem in many countries, you don't have investors coming to you, or very few and apart. So if we want to change that, and that was true pre-COVID, mind you. Now, post-COVID, a lot of companies will have a lot of problems repairing their own balance sheet. This is not the time when you go abroad. This is not the time when you expand. This is the time when you lick your wounds, you repair your balance sheet, you refocus on your strength, but you don't go into big things. This is where IFC has to be far more proactive. And that's why I said we need both a new type, which is a mix of uh, entrepreneur and financiers, as opposed to just financiers. Uh, the World Bank does it. Something that I repeated to my colleagues in IFC is uh, people have forgotten. I like history of it. But look at the history of the World Bank, the, the public part of the World Bank group. The first credit uh, of the World Bank of IBRD, that was the first one that was created, was to France, my country. 
But the team of the World Bank flew in, uh, in Paris, and the first project ever was the railway. But they had the SNCF, the thing was blown up during the war, the feasibility study was ready, all they had to do, World Bank, was just to discuss the terms of the finance. That's it, all the thing was done. Fast forward, you go to a country that are very poor, that have not this capacity, they cannot produce this feasibility study. So the World Bank transformed itself and, and now creates, its staff can create projects. Why not IFC? Why not in the private sector? So then we can go to the to the Incorporated that doesn't want to go to a big adventures. And here I am, I say, Rohit, you're very good at doing solar. Here is the, the whole feasibility we finance and we de-risk it. It's a completely different proposition for you. Then you know you have to spend two hours, two, two years in a country to explore, talk to the ministry of this, the ministry of that, find a piece of land and negotiate the PPA, the purchasing power agreements for when you know you're selling your solar electricity. This is two years of work, a lot of money and risk. You're not gonna do that post-COVID. You were not doing it pre-COVID. Post-COVID, forget it completely. Except if I come to you, I say, I know you have to repair your balance sheet, but this is kind of almost risk-free. The only risk you take is the, is the technical risk of what you're supposed to be the best, putting solar plants and running them. That's completely different. And I take care of the finance. Here's the feasibility studies. Here's uh, uh, the way we're going to de-risk you. And uh, you know, we have a World Bank guarantee that ensured the, the purchasing power agreement. So then Rowing Incorporation said, well, now I can manage the technical risk, that's my job. And all the risk is, uh, all the rest is that then you will have a new pipeline of project. Otherwise, I'm very pessimistic. I'm very pessimistic that the post COVID is gonna be very, very slow recovery and the scars are very deep and long lasting. So my way, I mean, what I saw before COVID will be even more urgent and important and critical and vital post-COVID for the poorest country. And we're talking about the poorest country, I'm not talking the middle income, uh, but for the poorest country where there is very little high risk, little capacity, this is what you're gonna get. Except for, you know, the, some mining project here and that, but that's not what you want to do. So I believe that there is a, there, there is a potential for uh, IFC and with working with the World Bank, I, I'm a very strong advocate of, you know, we, we should work much more together as, as opposed to two separate institutions kind of crossing, two ships crossing in the, in the night, you know, uh, that, which has been the case, unfortunately, uh, sometimes. Uh, and it was not structured. It was, okay, I like Rohit, he's a World Bank representative, so I work with him. But it was not institutionalized. It should be strategic. And that's why I put so much emphasis on having country strategy where we decide with the world, within the World Bank Group what we will do, what we will push, what type of reform we will advocate with the government, what kind of project we can design, what kind of projects, you know, if you have a, um, a project in tourism in the World Bank doing the infrastructure, we can tag on and do the, the private side of it. But we can go on forever. But public-private is the name of the game in the future. And being proactive for institutions like the World Bank and uh, IFC, especially for the private sector. Thank you so much, Philippe. I think that parting message of really marrying policy, regulation, and financing together and working as uh, 
as joint units um, uh, really, really carries through and uh, hopefully is the way development finance will be delivered in the post-COVID world as well. It will have to. Thank you so much again for your time, Philippe. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here and uh, to hear your inspiring words. You can find out more information about um, Philippe and the IFC at ifc.org. I'd like to just take this opportunity again to um, thank Philippe Leopoldo for taking the time to talk with us today. And finally, you can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>